Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Matthew 16, 18 through 19. If you're there, say amen. All right. Everybody's early. We're getting there quick. You like my keys up here? Those are nice. We're going to be starting a series today called Keys to the Kingdom. Everyone say Keys to the Kingdom. If you don't know what they are, that's very important that you know what they are because they are very valuable to you. So Keys to the Kingdom. Here we go. Verse 18 of Matthew 16. And I also, I'm reading the New King James Version, just so you know. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, which is actually hell, shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Everyone say powerful keys. We're going to talk about keys of the kingdom. Jesus, help us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Has anybody ever lost their keys? Almost a daily basis. Does anybody put their keys in the exact same spot when you come home every day? So you know exactly where they are. If anybody moves them, it's like, you know, they, it's, they're going to, a thousand lashes with a wet noodle. I mean, they're going to get it because that's where your keys are supposed to be. They are always there. How many have ever locked your keys in the car? Almost unanimous. Well, most of us. If you've locked your keys in the car, can I can I ask how many have ever broken a window in your car to get back in? Oh, Reese has broken a window. How many have almost broken a window to get back in? You thought about it. Anybody ever think about it? Okay. Usually, you don't lose your keys in a moment where you have plenty of spare time, right? You're usually headed somewhere important. I want you to know that when you lose keys or when you misplace keys, there's usually something that gets broken or almost gets broken or there is something that is inconvenienced. And so it's important to know the keys to the kingdom because those are very valuable keys in the sense of knowing what what needs to be kept in the spiritual world. Someone said amen. So in our text, Jesus along with his disciples have just landed on the coast of Caesarea Philippi. This is a particular land geographical place. And when he asked his disciples the probing question, who do men say that I am? He asked them a very specific question. And instantly the disciples say, some say you're John the Baptist. He was, Jesus was fishing for a certain answer. So, and some say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus then brings it all the way home because he doesn't care what other people say about him all the time. When he asks you a question as God, if he asks you and he maybe he asks your mind or you're reading the word and it presents a question to you, oftentimes God's not asking you what does others say about that. He's asking you what do you say about that. And so he probes a little bit deeper and he says, but whom say ye that I am? 
And so then right away, without hesitation, Simon Peter pipes up and he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus affirms him right away. Isn't it funny that when God asks us a question and we answer who he is to us, he'll automatically turn around and start talking about who we are? If you want to know really who you are, start telling God who he is to you. Well, that's a good little nugget, but that one will have to wait. Without hesitation, Simon Peter says this, and Jesus affirms it and, and, and gives clarity to it. He says, with a declaration back to Peter, that, that, there, that flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter. In fact, Jesus then declares that Simon Peter is called Peter, or Petros in the Greek, which means a large rock. That's what Peter is called, a large rock. And upon this rock, he says, the word rock there is actually Petra, a different word, similar, but Petra. He said, upon this rock, Petra meaning a mass of stone, and is often translated from the Greek into our Bible as foundation. Everyone say foundation. So he said, Peter, you're a rock, a large rock. And upon the revelation that you just had, it wasn't given to you by another man. It wasn't given to you by anybody else, but it is a revelation from God. Upon that revelation, I'm going to lay the foundations of my church, that I am Jesus Christ, the Christ, Son of the living God. And the interesting thing is that whenever the word refers to Son in Scripture, it's always, almost always referring to flesh. So we have to understand that when he said, Thou art the Christ, Christ, the flesh of the living God. What he's literally saying is there's no way that you can call yourself God if you're not truly God in a body. There's only one way that God could be a suitable substitute. We talk about this all the time, but unless he was 100% God and 100% man, we have to get the key and understand that Jesus Christ is the key to our salvation. Amen? That's why he's the way. That's why he's the truth. And that's why he's the life, because he was the way that opened the door. Amen? There's more scripture that talks about that, that by faith we have access through Jesus Christ. He's the doorway. And the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ is he never downs anybody that doesn't know. He never turned to the other disciples and like, you chumps, why don't you know this? Why don't you have this revelation? Peter's got this revelation, but you guys don't. What's the matter with you? Haven't you been Bible studying? Haven't you been to church lately? He doesn't do any of that. Really, all he does is focus on the most important key, and that is without the revelation, of the mighty God in Christ Jesus, there's no foundation. Literally no foundation. So he says, the Greek, in the Greek, Petra, which means a great foundation. So God says, Jesus says, that upon this rock, I will build my church. Ephesians 2 and 20. We're, we're furthering the thought here for just a minute. And it says in verse 20, that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. He's, he's the one that laid the entire structure and everything is built off of a cornerstone. They don't do this anymore, but used to when they built old houses, they didn't have levels and different things like that, Mike. So they would literally, when they're building a wall, they would cut one two by four. And then they would measure all the other two by fours in that wall by that one two by four. So that one two by four would be acting like the cornerstone, even though this is referring to stone. It would be the one measurement, the one thing that's used on a regular basis. So when you go and look at scripture, you have to use Jesus Christ as your anchor and your weight and your your measurement and your and your height and depth and all of the things that we measure into our life, we have to use Jesus Christ for that. I'm trying to stay on task because the guys in the back are looking at me because they have my entire sermon printed out. And they're like, that's not on the notes. <laughs> 
So I'm trying to stay on task. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth, thou shalt, shalt be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, shall be loosed in heaven. I, I have a very real understanding of that. Because if we understand the power of the name of Jesus Christ, that we have him as our cornerstone in our life, if we've put him in a very special place in our life, then we do have power to call upon spiritual things. Contrary to some theologians, in the verse that I read, and I'm anybody besides me glad that the Pope went home? <laughs> He's been all over everything. And they believe, they literally believe that and some major theologians obviously believe that papal authority was instituted at this moment with Peter. Literally, that Peter was the first pope. That's what they believe. And that is not what this is. This is actually a revelation, and it's a prophecy, even better said. It's a prophecy of something to come. So Jesus Christ is prophesying over Peter that upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, this revelation of who I am. And he says, Peter, you're going to be the one that has the keys to do this. So I have my keys here today, and I want to talk to you a little bit about certain things. But let me get through this, because I want to just line this up before we start. And the prophecy was that contrary to, the, to all the different beliefs about what Peter was doing here, it really was the fact that he was giving, a, that Jesus was giving a prophetic statement about the role that Peter would play on the day of Pentecost at the birth of the church. Amen? So it's not, Peter, you're the first pope. It's, Peter, you're going to be the one that gives the message that births the first church, my kingdom upon the earth. Amen? And so the church is God's kingdom working. It's not a physical kingdom, or else the Bible even says that Jesus talking, my, my disciples would fight for me if it was a physical kingdom. But it's not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. And when we understand that kingdom, we realize that if Jesus is the key and his name has all power, then we can use his name to bind things on earth and bind things in heaven and loose things on earth and loose things in heaven. Amen. Oh, man, I'm excited about that word. Acts 2 is where the prophecy was finally fulfilled. Jesus prophetically says it over Peter. Peter then goes through all that he goes through, fussing and cussing, doing everything that he did. After Jesus dies on the cross, they try to, obviously before, but they try to accuse Peter of being with them. He said, I'm not with them. He even swears by it. And then the, the rooster crows, and he's, I'm sure, I'm sure he feels the weight of grief of having failed the Lord. And the Bible goes through very all of those stories, but then we come to the place where, you know what, Peter shouldn't have been qualified after that. Peter should have been disqualified, Ben. He should have been the last person to stand and give the oracle of the first church and give the, 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 author, the authenticity of this is how the church has begun and this is how we're going to do it because God says he should be the last man to do it. But I'm so grateful God doesn't pick us based upon our failures. I'm so glad that God doesn't pick us based upon our talents. Because our talents are never going to be good enough for God. And our failures are never going to be too low for him not to reach us. Oh my goodness, I wish I could preach that right now. No matter how far you've fallen, no matter how, where you have ended up, you cannot get too low for God's hand to not reach you. And no matter how great you are and how perfect and polished you are and how nice your bow tie is, it doesn't matter because God is still so far above our best efforts. Amen. So that we must realize that in him we find a prophecy that's fulfilled in Acts 2, 36 through 39. And therefore, 
Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They were literally pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I can't believe we killed the Messiah. Then Peter said unto them, repent. Here's Peter fulfilling the prophecy. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive, it's a promise, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I'm glad he's still calling me. Because there's some weeks where I really need him to call a little bit more and call a little bit longer and not worry about being pushed to my voicemail, but call again and call again and not think that I'm ignoring him, but call again and call again. I guess that's a personal reference. I don't know. Jesus is about to establish his kingdom, not the kingdom of Israel, not a, not a millennial kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. And he does it through a man who should have been unworthy. But Peter, even in all his mistakes, when he recognized that the Spirit of God was doing something, he stood up and he involved himself with it. He got involved. When the Spirit of God began to move, he didn't sit back and say, well, I've had too many things go wrong. I don't know if I really believe that I'm supposed to be up on the stage right now starting and helping the church launch. I don't know if I'm the one, but you know what happened when the Holy Ghost moved in there and God began to fall upon the people in the upper room and they spilled out into the streets and there were people from all over the region and they're wondering what in the world is going on. Suddenly Peter's like, if the Holy Ghost is moving, I'm going to move with it. I'm going to do whatever God is doing. I'm going to do what God is doing. And wherever he's going, I'm getting there and I'm going to be in front of it and help with it. And push it if I have to and encourage it. I'm not going to be sitting back saying, well, I don't know if that was really a move of God. I think maybe that was contrived and maybe that was ushered in by a little bit of emotion. I don't care about the thought process that went through Peter's head. I care about his actions. He was there. He was standing up and he was giving God an opportunity to fulfill a prophecy in his life. You got to get there. When God moves, you got to show up. You got to be available to his move. So Jesus does a work. And Jesus answered about his kingdom in John 18 and 36. And Jesus answered in the kingdom, If my kingdom were of this world, I already hid it. The servants would fight, and I delivered the Jews. But I'm delivered to the Jews because my kingdom is not from here. Peter receives from Jesus the keys to the church, to the kingdom. Keys mean access. If you don't have the right keys, you can't get in. It's just a fact. And so today we started Keys to the Kingdom, and we're going to talk about four different sermons, and the four different sermons is faith, repentance, obedience, and the Spirit. And so today I want to take down the faith key. Everybody say faith. faith. you got to have the key. And you can't get in without the key. So we're going to take this guy down. Isn't this a great key? Yeah. This is an awesome key. One thing you need to know about keys is that you can get too many keys. <laughs> you can collect keys. Anybody a collector of keys? You have like 35 keys on your keychain? Not so many. Okay, good. I was going to have to have you come down right away and pray for you. There, I have a set of like 30 keys, but they ride around in my car. 
And uh, if I move them, I'm completely lost because I drive to places and realize I don't have the keys to that place. So I have to have keys to get in in a lot of different places in the city. And so I carry a bulk of keys with me because it's very important when I need them that they're there. And this, is, this key represents faith. And we're going to talk about faith. Faith is a key. I want to say a key. Romans 5, 1 through 2 is where we're going to stop here for a minute. If you look at the screen, it says, Therefore, be justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. How many have peace with God? And it's through Jesus Christ, by faith. By whom also we have access. By faith. Again, it hits by faith. Into the grace wherewith we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's why it feels so good to come to God and make him your Lord. Because you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And when you believe, you are accessing a key that opens doors that you did not realize you opened in the spiritual. So the interesting thing about a key is that it not only opens a door, but it locks doors. Amen? And so what you have to realize, and this is important, and it may be not taught on a regular basis, but as we have access by faith to grace, grace allows us to stand. If you look at it, verse 2, we have access by faith through grace. So we have grace, and then that grace gives us the ability to stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. If you lost your joy, rejoice comes off of several different words in the scripture. But if you can't rejoice, you probably have no joy. If you have no joy, you probably have no happiness. And guess what? Your faith accesses the grace that allows you to be rejoicing in God. So this key is very important to your spiritual well-being. The key of faith. Faith is the foundation of so many things. It's the foundation of so many parts of our life. We have to understand that whenever we access God through our faith, we start to believe things that we surely could not believe on our own had God not helped us. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word hearing in the scripture literally means by in that section that it says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. The word is rhema, which means the spoken word. What I'm doing right now is where we grow faith, where we read the word of God, where we preach the word of God and while we sit and we take it in that brings faith to our life that brings new keys to new doors amen and the new keys to the new doors you need before you get to that door or else it's very frustrating whenever I drive someplace and I've left the keys and I get I'm like oh you got to be kidding me I get so angry at myself because I put those keys in my car for a reason they're supposed to stay with me when I go somewhere and if you leave your faith at home or if you go to your job and you don't take the key of faith with you you're going to get so angry at situations that happen in your life because you're going to be like, why didn't I bring the key to open this door? And God always gives you the key before you get to the door because he prepares his children way in advance before they get there. And so I want to tell you that while I'm speaking the word, the Holy Ghost witnesses in this house and you start to get built up in your faith and the key shows up in your lap and you don't even know it because it's a spiritual key of faith. And you get to the door this week where you have a situation and you're like God I don't know how this is going to work and all of a sudden a key opens the door and there's a way made and you didn't know how the way was going to get made but God prepared you through the preaching of the word to do the work next week 
I have to tell you that faith is why so many things happen in the scripture. In Hebrews 11, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 3 and 12, it says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. And I don't know what doors I'm going to run into. But Kayla, I have, ac- I have confidence in my access. I- I- I'm only pointing out people because I'm looking at you and I- I'm just excited to have you here. So I have access because I'm so I'm so grateful that I have confidence in Christ to get me into the places that I need to get into and to keep me out of the places that I don't need to. Hebrews 11 says it provides a list of different people. It says by faith Enoch, by faith Abel, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, by faith Moses. You guys know all of these stories very possibly. By, by faith they obtained, they obtained great things. They had promises that they recovered. I want to tell you that the promises of God are obtained by the faith in your life. And if you, don't, if you don't get in a place where your faith is built, you cannot receive promises from God because faith is the currency of heaven. Faith is the buying power of heaven. And so you have to realize that whenever you have faith in your life, you are using it every day and you have to restore it. Amen? Behold, look at Habakkuk 2 and 4. It says, Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just, everyone say the just, shall live by what? We literally live on our faith. Did you know that? That your life is not living just because your heart is beating, but that literally you must, in order to be a just person and to continue to be just, as the scripture says, you must be a person that lives on faith. This is repeated several times in scripture, Romans 1 and 17, for the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith As it is written, the just shall live by faith. It references Habakkuk. Then in Galatians, Paul hits it again because it's never enough to just hit it once with Paul. He has to beat it to the ground. Galatians 3 and 11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by what? He hits it again. And he hits it again. I think Paul's very, very... His emphasis is very much on faith because he had to live by faith. He was literally living each day by faith. Hebrews 10, 38, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. One of the things that Jesus will be looking when he returns is faith. Luke 18 and 8, it says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, it's talking about the return of Jesus, the second coming, the trump will sound, and we that are alive shall be caught up with the dead to meet him in the air. It's talking about that. It says, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? The New King James says. In other words, God Almighty asks, will I find the key of faith in the earth? Now, the important thing that I wanted to share with you today about this key is that though I have found many times where I have access doors with God, we have access into an excess. Everyone say excess. It's like walking into the Home Depot when all you need is a nail. But whenever you open the door of God, there's all of this other stuff that's available to you. And you don't know necessarily what you need. You, 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 you can't always know. But the thing that I love about God is when anytime I stick faith in a door and I turn it and it opens, when I step through that door, I have a new revelation of who God is. Because my faith and my belief allows me. One time I was so, I was so down. And I, I don't get down all the time. I'm not a down kind of person. I'm a fun-loving guy. I say too many jokes. I know this. I know this about myself, okay? But 
I was really down and I was really struggling and I pulled into this parking lot and it was it was it was in Pewaukee. It's like the beach parking lot that goes to the beach. I don't know if you know where that's at, but they have a wonderful little ice cream shop over there. It's amazing. So you know where I go. Uh, food directs me. <laughs> I'm, I'm driven by food. The chocolate, exactly, that's what it is. It's called the Chocolate Factory. And I was going to go over there for lunch, and I pull in, and I'm having such a horrible day. I literally sat in my car, and I was like, and I just began to pray and seek God, and I began to actually weep tears, Karen. I actually started crying like a little baby. And I'm just sitting there crying and weeping before God. And guess who shows up in my car in a parking lot in Pewaukee? The Holy Ghost fills my car. And God just starts comforting me. He's just loving on me. And I just, I couldn't say anything. The only thing I could get out, Reese, was I believe. I believe it's going to work. I believe it's going to happen. Somehow it's going to take place. I don't know how it's going to work out. But I just got that key out and I just held on to it with a death grip. And I'm like, I'm going to open this door. If it has to kill me, I'm going to believe in this thing. And God did stuff for me that week I couldn't even believe. I literally thought I was believing. But when I got, when I got the thing brought into my life, there was such a new revelation of God in my life that I was like, I was believing you for this and you did all of this. My faith had access something to such excess that I literally turned around and looked at what God just did and went, oh my goodness, he's so much bigger. He's so much larger. He's so much greater than I thought he could be in my life. I thought he was fixing this problem and he fixed all of this other stuff at the exact same time. And I left that parking lot going, I truly do believe. I truly do have faith in him. I can get through this. And God said, the reason why you struggle is because the enemy is an opportunist. There is an enemy of our soul, right? The devil, Lucifer, he fell with angels. And he's the enemy of our soul. But every time we put the key in a door, we have to realize that that same key of faith locks the door to the enemy behind us. Because some of us get run over and get snuck up on by the enemy at times. And it can come through past experiences. It can come through past failures. It can come through things that we have done that we don't want to even admit that we've done. If they were to play your life on the screen over here, you'd lift a finger and say, I just need to step out. Because those things are things that we did when we maybe had no faith in God to keep us. Maybe we didn't have the ability to believe God for something more, so we settled in our past for something that wasn't what God wanted to give us. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever accepted something that was less than what God's best was for you? And as you're living life now further along and you're past those things, and those have been put under the blood, and God has forgiven you for those things, guess what? God erects a no fishing sign for all of those things and the enemy doesn't obey signs he doesn't obey laws and rules he literally will go back and drag something out of the sea of forgetfulness and try to put it in front of your face and say see what you did see who you were and you're standing over here and you are a completely different person than you were back there but for some reason through that scar in the heart through that situation you see a person online 
that you haven't seen in years and you know what that person said and did or you run into somebody at the grocery store and you know the pain comes back up like they just they just dissed us so bad you know I don't know I don't really deal with that all the time personally I'm a very forgiving and ungrudge holding person but sometimes things come up and I want you to know that the faith that got you to this new person that you are in Jesus Christ is the same faith that you can turn around and shut the door to the enemy when he brings it up. Literally, whatever he drags up, you're just like, oh, that's nice. Slam the door and lock the door because I'm not going back there because of where I'm going with my faith with God. So literally, you don't have access, enemy. You don't have access, devil, to what I have done to in the past because it's all under the blood it's all under the blood amen amen i don't know i'm excited i'm excited about this because the devil will sneak up on me sometimes and i have to realize that the same key that got me into the greatness of god is the same key that shuts the door on the devil on the enemy how many people have had layers in their life of trauma from their past you know, I don't talk about it much, but you know, all of us have been down different roads. But all of those different things from the past are opportunities for the enemy. And he'll use them. He doesn't play nice. And even if you close the door, he'll be like, yeah, see, you had to lock the door because you know I'm saying, telling the truth. I hate the devil. I hate how he does that. He like runs into the changer if you say no and you lock the door and he, you guys can't see me right now, okay? He jumps behind and he changes and he comes out and he's the accuser of the brethren. And even if you lock the door, he's banging on the other side of the door talking trash because he's the accuser of the brethren. And I hate him for it. Because I know no matter how many times I lock the door, I also have to take my faith and start speaking words that are louder than the echoes of the enemy behind the door I just locked. Amen? I have to literally say, greater is he that is in me. And that word has to be louder in my life. And I have to believe that more than anything else I just closed the door on. I have to say, there's no temptation taken me, but that which is common to man. There's been all kinds of people who have fallen over much less. And there's been all kinds of people who deserve things better than I deserve them. But guess what? His blood is not discriminatory. His grace is not discriminatory he loves me just as much as he loves you and he walks into my life whenever I believe him for things God appeared to Abraham and said things that changed his world God appeared to Noah and said things that changed his world but if they had not believed they would have never built the boat Noah would have never built the boat Abraham would have never left the earth of the Chaldees and Moses would have never walked out of the greatest schools and the greatest opportunities. He literally had a blank check. He would have been the next Pharaoh. And yet he said, I don't want any of that because I want what God, is, what God has for me. Faith is the key to grace and salvation. Ephesians 2 and 8, I'll give you a few more scriptures here. Um, is this okay today? I'm not boring anybody. For by grace have ye been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. John 3.18 says, He who believes in him 
is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten of the Son of God. We've got to believe in the name, amen? Oh, that's good. I'll say it one more time. We've got to believe in the name. Hallelujah. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder. Everyone say rewarder. Our reward is through our faith in God. A rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The writer of Hebrews boldly declares that without faith it is impossible. What a word. Try as we may, we have to, to please God. No matter how we try to please God, there is no other course of action or path to follow but to literally have faith to please him. It's essential for the Christian life, and without it, we will remain in a constant state of hostility and enmity against God. Without faith, we cannot please him. When you fall in love with somebody, you do things to make them smile. Have you ever noticed that? It, people, other people might not even get it, really. But you set a Kit Kat out for them, or you, you do little things, or you throw a little note in their lunchbox, or you do whatever, because you know it's going to make them smile. You send them a little text to their phone of a giraffe looking stupid. <laughs> what you doing? <laughs> and you know, there's little things we do because we just want to make the one we love smile. Some of the things I do is because it pleases him. And I believe, I believe that my faith in God is a very key point, point in my life of making him smile over me. The word impossible here when it's talking about it's impossible to please God in Hebrews 6, the original word means unable or powerless. But when we have faith, we have the power to please him. Amen. Last thing, okay. I've been beating this rope illustration to death because... I don't know, I guess I want to use up the value of the, buying this rope. Now, I've used this before. I hope I can do this without messing it up too bad. Help me, Tar Carla. <laughs> she helped me undo this before. I need a helper. Can I get a helper? Who? Hey. All right, Ben, you're awesome. Okay, Ben, I want you to find an end to this rope. Just find an end. How many know they're key finders? Have everybody, has anybody have, do you, I don't know if anybody here, does anybody have a key finder? You have a key finder fob. So some of us have admitted to losing keys, but they actually have a key finder where you whistle and it talks back to you. Do you know that? Yeah, it's about 32 bucks. It's great. You just, for all the whistlers out there, you should get a key fob. You just go, and it goes, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> it does something like that. Just, you hook it to your keys. So if you're a chronic key loser, you can do that. Some of you guys need a whistle key fob for your faith. Because if we lose our faith all the time, we'll be in trouble. Just walk around and start whistling while you work for the Lord. And guess what? Your faith will show up. That wasn't even in my notes. I probably would edit that out of the... But there's other key fobs. There's other key fobs. There's key fobs that you can call. You can literally call it and it will go off. You have a number and you dial it and it starts ringing. And then you walk around the house looking for the ringing noise for your keys. And you find them in the sofa. You find them between the, you know, whatever, between the pillows, someplace. 
Would you wrap that around your waist and just tie it real quick? We're going to have you bungee jump off the platform. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that is a long rope for bungee jumping. He'll hit long before. That would be a problem. There's other key fobs that they have. I, I was blown away by the fact that they have so many different options for people that lose their keys. And uh, I want to talk to you just a minute about that access control. And I've been in technologies and stuff like that for a long time. And there's something that's really powerful about your faith. Your faith brings you close to the doors that God wants to open. And when you get close to them, it's like, it's like the door just opens. You know when you go into a grocery store and you get within the, the range of the little meter and it opens the door for you? Has anybody ever walked into a door before because it didn't open fast enough? Oh, isn't that frustrating? That's what it's like in our spiritual life when we don't have enough faith. We're like, we can go here. Poof, ooh. It's not like that. But this little rope illustration is going to help you, I think. Um, give me James chapter 2, verse 3, I believe it is. James chapter 2, start there, verse 1. So here, here's a long rope, okay? Now, this rope is going to act as our faith. Come on over here with me, Ben. Bring some of your rope with you. Good job. Thank you. So Ben, you're going to act as a prayer, okay? Ben is going to be our prayer. Look up here. It says, For brother, my brethren, have not the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. Go on down. I want to go probably to verse 4. Go on down. Verse 3. And you have respect to him. Go on down. Are you not impartial there? Assessment becomes just and evil. That's good. Keep going. Hearken, my brother and brethren, how chosen with rich faith. That's poor. Go on. But you not despise the poor. Don't despise the poor. That's a good lesson. That's not our lesson. Keep going. I think it's probably, yeah, we're, I'm going to have to look it up. So I'm just going to teach it, and we'll have to look it up later, because it's not in my sermon notes. So um, I pulled it up before this, but I, I didn't write it down very good. Find out where, find where it's, maybe it's three. Look at, look at James 3, and just see if it talks about having faith uh, and to pray. James 4, thank you. Go to James 4. Uh, either verse 1 or 3, somewhere in there. For whence come the war's fighting? Go, go on. Yeah, it's 3. I know. I, lest the flesh kill. Yep, keep going. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Okay, so here's what we're doing. Uh, okay, I'm going to ask God. I'm going to pray to God. I apologize. I didn't write that down right. But we're going to pray to God, and we're going to ask a prayer of Him. Okay, so I'm going to say, say I'm going to pray that I want, um, there's a whole lot to this, but I'm trying to make it simple. And that's sometimes hard for me. So I'm going to pray, Lord, I need a special blessing in my finances. And I'm going to send that prayer out to God, okay? Keep going until I tug on the rope. Okay, good. Now that prayer gets sent to heaven. Okay, stop. Good, good. You didn't hit the wall. Okay, now what happens is our faith is connected to that eternal prayer. How many know that prayers are eternal? The second you pray them, they're forever before the throne of God. You might have seen this illustration before, maybe not. This represents my faith. If I keep believing with the key of faith in my life, if I keep believing that God can answer that prayer, guess what? That prayer can only get so far out there before all of a sudden that faith gets tight and it starts pulling me toward the answer to that prayer. But if I believe God and I ask amiss, go on to the next verse if you would. If I'm believing God for something, 
uh, that's not it, you adulterers and all that stuff. Let's go to the next verse. If I'm believing God for something, do you think in Scripture the vain and spirit that dwelleth in... Go on to the next verse. I might have to go back and look this up. Wherefore you say, God resisteth the proud and give grace to the humble. Next verse. Submit yourselves. Okay, never mind. So what the Bible actually says is, is if you believe and then you doubt, you cut the string of faith that's between you and your you and your prayer. So literally, like if I was to pray this prayer and instead of continuing with the key of faith to believe, I'm gonna pray, God, would you please bless my finances? And then he gets out there a ways and all of a sudden, I can't cut with my left hand. This is not working. I cut this string of faith with the scissors of doubt. What happens is I will never see that prayer come to pass because I didn't believe God could do it for me. I, Lord, would you bless my finances? And then I go and I do 20 different things to kind of try to bless my personal finances and I don't believe that God can help me. Guess what? I am cutting this string of faith that's between me and the answer that I want. And so then what I do is I'm not saying you don't ask God for something, then you go looking, because the Bible does say that. Ask, seek, knock, it's a progression. You ask God, you go seek the answer, you knock on doors that are closed. But whenever I have faith in my life, I don't have to worry about the string getting disconnected to my prayers. I literally pray, God, would you bless us? And then I go to worshiping God, and I go to thanking him for what he can do. And the things that he's done for David, the things that he's done for Saul, that they just go ahead and walk into that wall. <laughs> I need to move further over here, Ben the things that God's done for me and I get I can get this far away from the answer and feel like maybe I'll never even see the answer I'm all the way around the corner but God is still working on the answer for me long after I forgot about the prayer I even prayed because if oh my goodness can I preach for a second whenever you have faith just stay there bro whenever you have faith in your life and you ask God for something I'm wrapping it down I promise you ask God for something you need faith right now not just for the things you need right now but the things that you prayed that you forgot you needed the things that you prayed for that you've completely left your mind and you don't even remember praying those prayers you've got to keep faith in your life to stay connected to get the answer of the stuff you forgot about but God never forgets and he never sleeps and he's working for our good all the time so you wonder why this key is so important to my life because while I'm way over here and while I think that God's already answered that prayer five and six and ten different times here comes God with a very special answer that's completely in excess to what I thought was praying see I thought he he answered this prayer already because I got a little bonus in my paycheck, because I got a little help from a family friend. I thought he had answered, but guess what? I didn't realize, but he was working through all those things, but he was also answering this specific prayer in my life, and my faith unlocks, <laughs> unlocks that answer. Thank you very much. Can you take that with you and try to untie it? You can wrap that up somehow. I hope you remember this on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And it's not just me running around with a crazy key in my hand, but you'll remember it. Faith is what keeps us, and faith is what keeps our prayers alive and doesn't allow us to be disconnected from those prayers. Faith unlocks the doors to the miraculous. Finish with this, Mark 9.20. And they brought him unto, they brought him unto, him, meaning Jesus, 
And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. There's this boy who has been torn and ripped, and the spirit upon him is, is, is demonstrating in front of Jesus. You know, if you're, if you're a demon, don't you think you want to lay low if it's Jesus you're in front of? I mean, you're messing with the wrong dude. <laughs> you don't want to be showing out in front of Jesus. But look at what Jesus does. He doesn't even look at the demon. He doesn't even look at what the demon's doing to the boy. He looks over and he asks the father a question. He says, and he asked his father, how long is it ago since it came upon him or unto him? And he said, of a child. And oft times it cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, in other words, he's saying, I don't know what you can do. I have a little bit of faith, but if you can do anything, anything is better than nothing. And sometimes when we have little faith, we start to pray anything prayers. Jesus, anything will work. Just do anything. When God wants to do everything and be our everything, amen? And Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe. Everyone say if. The if is on us. It's on us. It's not that he couldn't do it. It's on us to believe. And that's why this is the biggest key up there. I hope I'm saying the truth. <laughs> I wanted this to be the biggest key because the if is on us. It's not literally on Jesus Christ. It's not because he didn't do it for us. It's because we didn't have the big enough key to fit that lock and open that door. We didn't have enough faith to believe him. So he puts the if back on the father for the son. He says, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Would you help me to have a bigger faith so that I can believe for this answer? And so we see that Jesus heals the boy. It goes on to talk about that. But he tells him the spirit to come out of the boy and it cried and it came out. But literally the problem was with the faith of the father. And so there's been, a, I've had a lot of friends that have lived for God and they fall away. Have you, ever, have you ever had a friend that fell away? Why is it that whenever they believe in God so strong that it's like a pendulum, they fall all the way out and go so far out? And then sometimes they come back and they balance. But if they've lived for God with so much faith and so much vigor, and then all of a sudden they just they let go of it all, they, send, they seem to swing so far, even becoming atheists like we talked about. I mean, just going so far out. And it doesn't make any sense to us. But the fact remains that they lost their faith and they blame God for something that was actually on them the whole time. It's on us. He gives us faith, but we have to be in a place to receive it. And if we don't have enough faith, we will literally fall out of the kingdom of God. We will walk away from God. Because we will blame him for stuff that we could have received had we had enough faith. I don't know if I said that well enough, but as a generation, four generations removed as an apostolic, my grandmother and great-grandmother, and all the way through handing this down to me, I had to learn how to live by faith for myself. And the things that I question, I don't have first-generational biases. 
I ask myself why three times for everything I believe. And I try to answer them. If I cannot answer them, I get my faith out and I start digging in the Word of God. And so if you have something that you have believed, your belief systems are so powerful in your life because your, I said it online, I said your relief systems are directly connected to your belief systems. There are people that are so strong in their beliefs and their beliefs are wrong. You know that. I know that. It's not anchored in the word of God. There's no truth to that belief. But they literally have a commitment and they have a conviction to that belief. But it's called conviction, commitment, bias. It's literally like, I've believed this so long that it's got to be true. If we don't question what we believe, how do we know we're not sticking a key in the wrong door? And it's not going to fulfill. You have to ask yourself, why do you believe something? If you believe it's good to be a vegetarian, I'll just take that one. I'm not going to even use Bible because I don't want to put you at, uh, on edge. If you believe it's good to be a vegetarian, I'm a vegetarian. Why? Because I don't believe in killing animals. Why? Ask yourself the question three times. Why? Why? Because I think it's cruel. Why? Because, oh, why are you ask me three? Why are you asking me why? You see what just happened there? You didn't really have a foundation for your belief. You just believed it because you've been believing it for a long time. So what you have to do is you have to ask yourself why three times on everything you believe. And you have to anchor it in the word of God by faith. This is so much more than I wanted to preach right now, but I feel it in the Holy Ghost. Some of us have first generational biases that we're living that are not anchored in the word of God. And you have to filter all of those beliefs through God's word with faith and have it be something fully established in your life. Or else your conviction is just like the Muslim who's going to throw a rock at a pillar because they believe that it's throwing rocks at the enemy. You're, you're literally doing things exactly like other religions are. And you have a religion, not a relationship with God. We don't want that here. I'm not interested in that here. So I spent a lot of time asking some questions. Some people could challenge your vegetarian belief. They could say, as some have said, anybody like mowing the lawn? Anybody like the smell of a fresh cut lawn? One guy said that the fresh cut lawn is actually chemicals being given off by the grass as it's been cut. He, he challenged the vegetarian, like, what, when you say that you don't want to kill an animal and have a nice hamburger, because it's cruel, all I need to do to disclaim, to dis, completely discredit you is to prove that there's more life in a plant than there is in an animal, or that there is life in a plant. And you're killing plants to have your salad, but you won't kill a cow to have a good cheeseburger and some fries and a shake. <laughs> the problem is you have a first-generational bias that is not going to stand up. Literally, one of the writers I read said, what if the chemicals you smell when you mow the lawn is literally a chemical cry of a plant that's been severed? What happens if you change your belief system? People, I'm not trying to say that I believe in being a vegetarian or I believe in eating meat. I, I think you should eat anything that's good, okay? And sometimes some stuff that's not so good for you. But that's up to you and your God. The other thing that I would tell you is 
if your belief systems are skewed, I would say challenge them by asking everything that you do the question, why, three times. Well, why do I do that? Well, why do I baptize in Jesus' name? Because it's the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. Why do I baptize? But why? Because Jesus died so that my sins could be washed away. But why? Because his name is the only name that will stand forever on anything it's placed on. And it's given history in the word of God. All the way through the children of Israel, they put the blood on the doorpost in Egypt. They did all of this different stuff. I know I've been long. I'm really sorry. I'm just trying to tell you, don't run off with a key of faith that you think is the right key to the right door and find out that it's not and get bitter at God and blame him and end up an atheist. That's what I'm saying. You can literally walk away from God who is a good God, all depending on the fact that you chose the wrong belief system and you're living a religion, not a relationship. Is that all right? That wasn't in my notes at all. See, you guys draw this stuff out of me whenever you're here. I feel it. Let's stand together. So am I asking some questions? Oh, you bet I am. Every single day, I ask the Lord questions. And whenever I see something that is a belief pattern in my life, I ask the question, why, three times. And if I can substantiate it every single time, then I know that I'm living for him and I'm living the truth. And obviously, having Jesus in my life is having truth because he is the truth. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, today may have been a little bit different because we're talking about the keys of the kingdom, but I'm afraid that, there are so many in this world that live a religion and haven't truly found faith in you and a life lived in you. God, we are so busy doing church work sometimes that we're not really being the church. Can you help us, God, to reorganize our thinking and our thought process to reach for true faith, to reach for true baptism, true understanding, true belief, to reach for the truth greater than anything we hold on to. Help us not to have cognitive biases where we have believed it for so long, we just keep doing it and keep believing it, but living out what your word says. If your word says it, that settles it. Can that resonate with somebody? If your word says it, that settles it. I want to live it. So help me, God. So help me, God, to do what you have called us to do. As a man that has been given so many chances, by my faith, you've given me better than I deserved. I pray over these people right now that by their faith, you would give them better than they deserved. And that we would all understand that as we start seeing the things of God come to pass in our life, that you made us deserving in the cross.